Luke investigated many of the earliest eyewitnesses of the life of Jesus and then composed this account. And the story begins up in the hills of Jerusalem, the place where Israel's ancient prophets said that God himself would come one day to establish his kingdom over all the earth. In this city is the temple run by the priests, and one of them, named Zechariah, was working in the temple when he had a vision that freaks him out. An angel appears and says that he and his wife will have a son. What's this all about? Well, Zechariah and his wife, we're told, are very old. They've never been able to have children. And Luke's setting up a parallel here with Abraham and Sarah, the great ancestors of Israel, because they too were very old and could never have kids. Yet God gave them a son, Isaac, which is how the whole story of Israel began. And so Luke's implying here that God's about to do something that significant for this people once again. The angel tells Zechariah to name the son John. And then he says that this son's going to fulfill a promise of Israel's ancient prophets, that somebody would come one day to prepare Israel to meet their God when he arrived to rule in Jerusalem. Because right now, Jerusalem is ruled by the Romans. Yeah, specifically, it's governed by a man named Herod, who's a puppet king under the Roman Empire. And so the Jewish people wanted nothing more than to be free and govern themselves in their own land. So this is shocking news. Everything's going to change. God's on his way. But how is he going to arrive? Well, to find out, Luke takes us out of Jerusalem and then up into a small town in the hills of an out-of-the-way region called Galilee. And there we find a young woman named Mariam, or we call her Mary. She was engaged to be married. And then an angel appears to Mary saying that she's going to have a son. She's supposed to name him Jesus, which in Hebrew means the Lord saves. And he will be a king like David who will rule over God's people forever. And then Mary asks, okay, well, how is this possible? Because I'm a virgin. And she's told that the same Holy Spirit that brought life and light out of darkness in Genesis chapter 1 is going to generate life inside her womb. God is about to bind himself to humanity through the conception and the birth of the Messiah. And so Mary goes from some backwoods, no-name girl to the future mother of the king? Exactly. In fact, she sings a song about how this reversal of her own social status points to a greater upheaval to come. Through her son, God's going to bring down rulers from their thrones and exalt the poor and the humble. He's going to turn the whole world order upside down. So when Mary was really pregnant, she and her fiance Joseph had to go down to Bethlehem. Yeah, there was a decree across the Roman Empire about new taxes, and so everybody had to go get registered in the town of their family line. There were so many visitors in Bethlehem, they can't find a guest room. And so the only place they can find is a spot where animals sleep. Now nearby were some shepherds with their flocks, and an angel appears, which of course freaks them out. But they're told to celebrate, because tonight in Bethlehem, a savior has been born. Yeah, they're told to go and find this baby, and they'll know that it's the Messiah because he's going to be wrapped up and laying in a grimy feeding trough. Yeah, which is pretty gross. Totally. And then these shepherds, who aren't very clean themselves, they go and find the newborn Jesus in this really dingy place, and their minds are blown. They go home wondering what on earth is about to happen. And this is all really strange. I mean, if God's really coming to save the world, this isn't how you would expect him to arrive, born in an animal shelter 
shelter to a teenage girl celebrated by no-name shepherds. Exactly. I mean, everything is backwards in Luke's story, and that's the point. He is showing how God's kingdom was first revealed in these dirty places among the poor because Jesus is here to bring salvation by turning our world order upside down. Good morning, everybody. Forgot I had my mask on. Isn't this an amazing story? Maybe you've heard it a lot of times. And you think, oh yeah, I know, she was a virgin, she was a teenager. This morning what I hope to do is go over some of the details of the story and just remind us how Jesus came to turn things around and make the wrong things right. Jesus was chosen, sometimes the Bible uses the word anointed, to, uh, by God the Father, to overcome or conquer the obstacles that kept us from having an intimate personal relationship with God. And Jesus was chosen by God to make things that were wrong in the world to be right, so there wouldn't be any more injustice. But the way in which Jesus does these things in this story continually confounds everybody because they didn't expect it to happen that way. I was thinking if Jesus came today, we might expect him to be born into a wealthy family. We would probably think he would have to go to Harvard or Princeton or some fancy school. If he came today, we would probably expect him to be known at a really young age, right? With thousands of followers on social media, probably through TikTok, by age 12. If Jesus came today, we would want to consider him an influencer and expect that he was going to probably start a billion-dollar company from scratch or maybe become the president of the United States. But that's just not the way that Jesus came into the world. That's not the way that Jesus turns things around. Jesus comes as a baby born to a teenage girl who doesn't even uh, get married before she knows that she's pregnant. Jesus was born into a family that's mostly unknown by people who were considered important at that time. And he's from Nazareth, a place that nobody in Jerusalem cares about at all. Mary gives birth to her son in a barn, a smelly barn, apparently, according to the video. A place where they kept animals because they couldn't even find a room to stay in when they were in Bethlehem. I think if God the Father hadn't used angels to announce to some shepherds and also stars to bring some wise men to where Jesus was born, I don't know that anybody would have even noticed. So this is our first hint at how it is that God intends to turn things around in the world. Instead of working through the normal ways and the normal power structures, through the normal influential people, God chooses to work in a very different way in order to impact and turn the world around. Jesus overcame the sin and injustice in the world with love, and a certain kind of love. This self-giving love that costs the giver of the love their life. For many generations, the people of Israel had waited for the Messiah. The, the Messiah is also known as the Savior or the Lord someone who would save them from the nations who were oppressing them. They wanted to live their lives according to their own laws and their own way of life in the land that God had given to them. And they were waiting for someone to come and lead them in that way. And in this beginning of the book of Luke that we're going to look at 
this morning, Luke chapter 1, it's becoming clear who God is about to reveal God's Son to be and the Messiah to be that they've waited for for hundreds of years. So what I want to read to you to begin with this morning is this song that Mary writes or Mary says to her, um, to her relative Elizabeth. So Elizabeth um, has also having a baby. Her, her baby's name is going to be John. He's going to become John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin. And when Mary finds out she's pregnant, she decides to go and visit Elizabeth. And as she's coming into Elizabeth's house, the baby in Elizabeth, John the Baptist, jumps because he can perceive Jesus coming. And when Mary comes into Elizabeth's house, apparently she decides to sing a song. I don't sing songs when I enter into people's homes. Maybe you do. But this is how Mary decides to respond to the greeting that Elizabeth gave her. So here's, here's how the song reads. It says, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary's song highlights how blessed she perceives herself to be in this moment, right? She realizes that she's been chosen by God for this incredibly important moment to be the mother of God's son. She talks about how people for generations will remember how blessed she is. And the song that Mary shares with us shows us how God chooses to turn things around in ways that we don't expect. In verse 48, she says, For God has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. She's referring to herself. Even though she's a teenage girl from a family that nobody particularly cares about, she's been chosen by God to have this incredibly important role. It's one of these spots where it's clear that God is turning things around and using humble people to do amazing things in God's kingdom. In verse 52, she says, God has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. God has filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent the rich away empty. And here's another example of how Mary is pointing out how God just turns things around. The way in which we are used to things working, God changes them. God flips them over. I was trying to imagine, you can hear in her voice that she's thinking of someone. She's not projecting into the future. She's thinking of the past here. So she's thinking of the kings of Israel, I think, probably, and Judah, who were anointed by God to lead God's people, but then used their power and authority only for their own good, for their own, for their own well-being. And she's probably also thinking of some of the rulers in Rome who used all the taxes and the labor of the people just to make their own life easier, more comfortable, more wealthy, more powerful. And she says, in our history, as I look back on our history, I know 
that God has had to change these leaders because they're not living into the calling that God has given them to care for the people who need God's care the most. And so Mary is remembering the many times that God has turned things around and made the wrong things right. A friend of mine taught me recently that sometimes in Jewish thought, people think of themselves as backing into the future. So if the future is back here in this example, uh, she said that people sometimes imagine themselves as looking at their present and their past as they move into the future. And as I read this song that Mary sings for Elizabeth, I think that's exactly what she's doing. She's really unsure of what's about to happen to her, right? There's not a lot of clarity about what the next steps are going to look like. But she sings this song about what she knows is true about how God works. She looks back on the history of herself and her people and say, I know that this God who has called me to this role right now is the God that turns things around. The God that uses humble people to do amazing things. The God that sees the people who are experiencing poverty and hunger and need help. The brokenhearted, the folks who are ignored by others. And he lifts them up just the way he's lifting me up now. So whatever is behind me in this future, I know that God is going to be with me. Isn't that unique? Mary is remembering lots of ancestors, and while I don't know which ancestors she was thinking of, here are a couple that came to mind that she maybe was considering. She might have been thinking of, of King David, who was the youngest of all of his brothers and probably the smallest of his brothers. And even though he was mostly ignored by his family, God chose him to be the greatest king in the history of Israel. She might have been thinking of Esther, who was a woman who had to conceal her Jewish ethnic identity in order to become queen in the kingdom and ultimately be used by God to save the Jews from a violent threat. She might have been thinking of Ruth. You remember the story of Ruth? She might have been remembering that Ruth lost her husband, lost her family, and adopted herself into her mother-in-law's family, only to get into a new relationship where God brought about a new child that ended up being the grandfather of King David. Mary knows all these stories. And as she's looking back over her history, her family's history, her people's history, she knows that God is making wrong things right and turning things around in ways that no one would ever expect. Why? Because that's what God does. By the time Jesus was born, Israel had been waiting for centuries for God to send this Messiah, this Savior, to set them free. So we're going to read a passage from the book of Isaiah in chapter 61 to see how they perceived what that Messiah would do when the Messiah came uh, hundreds of years before Jesus was born. So if you have a Bible, Isaiah 61 will be on the screen for you. Here's how it reads. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me. Because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Listen to all the things that are flipped on their heads here, that are turned around. He has, proclaimed me to, he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, to bind, sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, to release from darkness for prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion. To bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. The oil of joy instead of mourning. And a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness. 
a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Again, this is hundreds of years before Jesus has come, a description of the way in which the Messiah will turn things around when he comes. I want to pause on a number of these things in Isaiah 61 and just show you how these things are turning. For, pe for people who are experiencing poverty in all kinds of different forms of poverty, Jesus comes to proclaim good news. When they are used to receiving bad news or the same news, Jesus says, no, the news that I bring is going to be particularly good for the poor. Jesus comes to bind up the brokenhearted, people that you know and that I know in our lives right now who have broken hearts. Think about some of those people in your life because life's been really hard the last couple of years. And for a lot of us, there's been pain and suffering that we didn't anticipate. And so you can, might be living in your life and you might be experiencing this yourself where your heart feels broken. The good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that God comes in Jesus to bind up our broken hearts, to give us whole hearts again, the scripture says, so that we can love completely and be loved completely and continue to do the things that God has called us to do. The Messiah comes also to proclaim freedom for captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. Captivity in the 21st century comes in a lot of forms. And maybe some of you and people you know feel like they're trapped, like they're stuck, like there's something that's holding them back that they can't get past. And part of the good news of Jesus Christ in this Christmas season is that God comes in Jesus to set us free from those captivities. Amen? That God brings hope that in places that you know you cannot get out on your own. You've tried. Or others cannot get out on their own. They've tried. It's not a matter of will. That we desperately need the God of the universe to come and set us free. Both as individuals and as communities. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, which is another way to say the year of Jubilee in the Old Testament, which is a year that came about every 50 years where debts were canceled for people. People were returned to their homes and returned to their families and returned to their land. It was kind of a giant reset, both economically and socially, for the Israelites. That God said, things get messed up over the course of 50 years and you're going to need a reset button. This is that. The Messiah comes to declare that God's jubilee, the people are set free from the mistakes of their past, from the debts that they owe, from anything that's weighing them down. God turns us loose and sets us free. To proclaim the day of the Lord's vengeance, which might sound harsh and judgmental to you, but what it means is that God does not let evildoers go unpunished. That there is actually justice for people who reject God in their life and reject God's way of life and oppress others. God will not turn a blind eye to that, but God will make the wrong things right and fight for justice for those who need that. That we will have comfort for people who are mourning. I know that you and I both know that people who have mourned deeply over the last period of time, that instead of mourning, we will be comforted by God. Instead of uh, ashes being poured on our heads, we will have a crown of beauty. Instead of mourning, we will have oil of joy. Instead of a spirit of despair and giving up, we will be able to praise God together because we can see what that God has already done. Amen? 
The Messiah is God's chosen leader. The one who will overcome all the obstacles that prevent God's people from being in close relationship with God. Whatever those obstacles are in your life, whatever those obstacles are in our communities, in our families, Jesus has come to overcome them, to conquer them, to make it possible for us to receive the gift that God has for us. This chosen leader will be someone who shows everyone how God intends for the world to work by challenging the injustices of the world. There is no difference between the forgiveness of our sins and our mistakes and God's battling for the world to be the way that God wants it to be, a just society. There's no difference. But the people of Israel did not expect this Messiah to be born in Bethlehem. They didn't expect the Messiah to come from a family in Nazareth. They didn't expect the Messiah to be the son of a carpenter. God came into the world in ways that we all don't expect. And when Jesus was an adult, in one of my favorite passages in Scripture, in Luke chapter 4, he picks up this exact same text from Isaiah 61. He opens the scroll while in the temple, and he reads it. And then in a Jesus mic drop moment, in the, in the translation of Eugene Peterson, Jesus says, you've just heard Scripture make history. It came true just now in this place. Jesus is saying, this is me. I'm the one you were waiting for. I'm the one who turns things around. I'm the one who makes wrong things right. I'm the one who sets prisoners free. I'm the one who comforts those who need comforting. I'm the one who fights for justice on behalf of those who have no one to fight for them. It's me right now. As we remember together this Christmas season, the birth of Jesus, we realize don't we? How badly we still need Jesus to turn things around today. This really struck me as I was working on the sermon. If, if you think about the challenges we're facing in the world today, and there's lots of them, can you see how we need Jesus to turn this thing around and make wrong things right? Can you see how humans are not able to solve their own issues? Can you see, when you look back at societal problems in human history, how humans have never been able to solve their own problems? That they desperately need to find a power outside of themselves who can do it with them and for them. If you think about the challenges in your own personal life, even those challenges that no one else really knows about, can you see how you need help? You need Jesus to help turn those things around and make the wrong things right in your own life. I can. I wrote these three words in the middle of one big page as I was working on this sermon because they just struck me. So I'll just say them to you this morning. They just were, we need help! Exclamation point. And the reality is that a lot of us, myself included, do not like to admit that we need help. But we need God's help. We, we can't fix it on our own. We can't fix our lives on our own. We can't fix the world on our own. We need God's help just as much as the people needed God's help in Jesus' time or in Isaiah's time or any other time in human history. And let me say this real clearly for you. Admitting that you need God's help is the first step towards actually receiving the gift of Jesus in your life. Admitting today with like open palms as you sing the last few songs in the worship service, I know I need God's help. 
I know I need God's healing, God's forgiveness, God's mercy, God's love, God's second, third, fourth, fifth chance. I know I need courage from God to actually do the things that I feel called to do to make wrong things right in the world. I need all that. I can't do any of it on my own. By admitting that, we're open to actually receiving the gift. Let me invite the band to come back up. When we celebrate Christmas and remember the incredible gift that God has given us in Jesus, and like Mary, we're backing our way into the future, remembering how incredible this gift of Jesus is and how badly we need that same gift today. So just quietly to yourself in a few moments that we have here, I want to encourage you to name one way that you think we need Jesus to help us turn things around in the world we live in today. What's one way we need Jesus to turn things around in the world today? Pray that God would do it. And name one way that you know that you need Jesus to help turn things around in your own personal life, in your relationship with God. What do you need from God this Christmas? Our Heavenly Father loves to give gifts. What do you need from God this Christmas? Pray that God would give it to you. We are going to sing O Holy Night, which is one of the most famous Christmas carols in the world today. Some of the lyrics will be on the screen for you. It was written in Paris a long time ago. And the lyrics highlight some of these same themes that we find in the scriptures we looked at today. Some of these lyrics tell us that God's law is love and the gospel is peace, which is the peace candle that we lit today. That Jesus comes to break chains. That Jesus comes to cause oppression to cease. To set people free. To be who God created them to be. And as we hear that today, we pray for God to turn things around in our lives and in our world. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for your blessings in our life. With all the busyness of Christmas, God, we pause and remember all the ways in history that you have turned things around and made wrong things right. And we admit to you this morning that we need you and we need your gift. Whether we've been followers of Jesus our whole lives or we're not yet followers of Jesus, we admit this morning our need on our knees before you. We need your help. Thank you for the gift that we've received in Jesus this season. Amen.